Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. second hour of Detroit Today, we have two doctors here with answers. What should you be doing? What should you not be doing? And how do we work together to control the spread of coronavirus? We'll hear from you next, right after the news from NPR. And as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We've added this second hour for another day this week to start dealing with, again, the questions that people have, the medical questions that people have about the coronavirus and the spread of the coronavirus, which we are all working really hard right now to change our routines and upend our lives in a way that it will kind of cut back on the spread of that deadly disease. Uh, We are getting lots of calls during the regular show from 9 to 10 of Detroit Today about these kinds of medical questions. And so we thought it would be good to convene a second time to have doctors on hand to be able to actually answer those specific medical questions. And so if you have questions about COVID-19, about this pandemic, the way in which it is spread, the way in which it affects you medically, what you should do if you start to see symptoms in yourself or in your loved ones, if you have questions about how it will spread and maybe how we will beat it, in other words, uh, how we will manage to figure out how not to have this be such a deadly disease and so uh, contagious in our our world, uh, this is the hour to get those questions out. Also, call and tell us how you're feeling right now. Call and tell us what you're doing to cope with this new reality and what you've been doing to prepare or protect yourself for the coronavirus pandemic. I think it's really important right now that we be able to connect in forums like this here on Detroit Today on our platforms where we always are talking about issues that are really important to us and connecting with each other and debating and discussing more important now because so many of us are disconnected from the people we're used to seeing and touching and interacting with. So many of us are sitting at home uh, and many of us are by ourselves at home. And we want to make sure that this platform here on Detroit Today is a place that you're coming for information, for debate and discussion, and as always, for connection. So the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And we're also this hour, because this has been such a long week, and I detect in people's voices and on their faces the absolute fatigue from dealing with 
the coronavirus and dealing with all of these changes, we're going to have a little bit of levity this hour. Also call and tell us what's one fun or unexpected positive thing you've been able to do in the time you've been home because of the coronavirus. Think of the things maybe that you've done with your children. Think of things that you've done with other family members that maybe you wouldn't have had an opportunity to do this week if you were working full-time, if you were going back and forth to the job and picking up kids from school and events and athletic uh, athletic events and things like that. Um, I think for a lot of us, we are discovering things again or rediscovering parts of our lives that we may have felt more distant from. So that is uh, the other thing that we are taking calls on all hour. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. And the first physician joining us today to answer your questions is Dr. Sandy Veter, Medical Director at Lakes Urgent Care in West Bloomfield and Livonia. Dr. Veter, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you. Appreciate being uh, on the show today and helping whatever way I can. Yeah. So let's start with you telling us what you're seeing as a physician about the ways in which this pandemic is starting to affect our lives here in southeast Michigan. Uh, give us a give us a window into your world right now. Well, uh, as you've already said, it's been a very long week uh, or so, ten days that uh, we've really been in the in the thick of all of this, and that certainly has created a lot of challenges for a lot of different people. So uh, in terms of what we're seeing, um, I do practice emergency medicine as well as urgent care, and we are definitely seeing a lot of people that uh, either are mildly symptomatic on the front lines. We're certainly beginning to see individuals who have more advanced disease uh, in the uh, emergency department setting, but we're also seeing a lot of people who we uh, sort of call the worried well, and these are individuals who think that they may have been exposed, but they're not really having symptoms right now, and they're just not sure what to do. There's a lot of confusion as to what they should do, and of course, there's a lot of fear and anxiety, uh, because unfortunately, you know, much of the press that people are watching, whether it's on TV or reading the papers, um, they're really seeing the worst of the worst, and sometimes it gets hard to remember that there are a lot of people who do recover. There are a lot of people who don't get it at all or who, you know, may may contract coronavirus infection and it's a mild case. So uh, it, it's certainly not something that we want people to let their guard down on, uh, but there's also uh, a concern about the amount of fear and anxiety that's out there and uh, that's changing uh, a lot of the way that people behave. So mm. that's problematic as well. Yeah. Um, the, oh, go ahead. Yeah. The, the other thing I was going to mention, though, is that, um, you know, it, it has really kind of grinded to a halt um, health care in general, certainly in our in our area here in the greater Detroit area. And so um, there there's some concerns that people who don't have um influenza-like illness, uh, which we kind of generically refer to things like uh, common cold, influenza or the flu, or of course, coronavirus. There's still a lot of people who need care uh, in our area, routine care, uh, unrelated issues. Uh, people are, 
exercising a little bit more, although they're not doing it in gyms. They're trying to get outside, and our weather has been a little bit on the milder side, which has been conducive to that. But people can suffer, you know, ankle injuries or falls or hurt the wrist or cut their finger, and, and, and they're really concerned about where they can go to get that kind of care. Um, a lot of people, smartly so, are trying to stay away from emergency departments and really our local emergency departments and the heroes that work in those departments are the front line to try and deal with this very contagious disease. And it's a struggle for them to do it with, you know, literally an army of people and and all of the equipment that they have. So what we're looking to do uh, with Lake Surgeon Care is create what we call a clean care site so that people who are not having uh, respiratory symptoms or other symptoms of coronavirus can come and get care that they need should they need it um, in an alternative environment, not worry about being in a facility where there are others that might be infected with the with the virus. Hmm. Um, I wonder if you can put into context the numbers that we're seeing right now, the number of cases here in Michigan has jumped to more than 330. Is it safe to say there is a rampant community spread happening at this point, or are we too early to try to assess how much the spread will, will look in this state like it has in others? Sure. Well, it, it is difficult, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of health professionals are kind of driving blind right now, and that's because of the fact that we're simply limited in the amount of testing that can be done in the area. Uh, even our local hospitals are really struggling to uh, get testing done, not only on those individuals that are ill enough to be admitted to the hospital, which is largely the only cases that are currently being tested locally. Um, but we'd really like to start being able to get to the point where we can test you know, virtually anybody that uh, may be mildly symptomatic to kind of get a better understanding of what the epidemiology is behind um, this current pandemic. Um, because our testing numbers are so low, it's very difficult to really know and to understand what the trajectory of this is going to be. And um, we can make some presumptions that we will definitely see more positive cases. The real question becomes how many of those positive cases are going to progress on to more severe disease that require hospitalization. And that's what everybody's really concerned about. Um, And so I I applaud Governor Whitmer and the quick action that she took um, to try and close things down in our in our state and keep people safe, because, you know, that that is another message I would definitely want all our listeners to hear is that if you don't need to be out, you really shouldn't be out right Mm -hmm. now. And I don't mean going outside for a walk or going for a run. I'm talking about going to public places. If you don't need to go to the grocery store, you shouldn't go to the grocery store. If you absolutely need to, try and do it individually. Don't go with the whole family or don't go as a husband and wife. Just go one individual. Um, So we minimize the opportunity for the coronavirus to try and spread further throughout the public. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We've got Dr. Sandy Veter with us. He is a medical director at Lakes Urgent Care in West Bloomfield and Livonia. He's here to answer your medical questions about the coronavirus. What do you want to know about what is going on with this pandemic, how we are 
changing our lives to make sure that we don't encourage the spread of it. But how do you know if, for instance, you have symptoms, uh, what to do? How do you know what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing? We are getting lots of calls about that during our regular time from 9 to 10 a.m. here on Detroit Today. And so we've added a second hour in order to specifically address the medical questions you have. And again, also because I am detecting a lot of weariness among folks about all of this and all of the change that is unleashed in our lives, we also want you to call and tell us uh, one fun or expected positive thing that you've been able to do in the time since you've been home because of this pandemic. What are the things that you can sort of pull away from this that are good things, Uh, even though they may be mitigated by the context in which they've happened? There are some things that I think we are all rediscovering and maybe enjoying about the quiet. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with John in Dearborn. John, welcome to the show. Yes, Stephen. I want to thank you, first of all, for having this second hour of Detroit Today. Mm-hmm. It's a very important program. Now, could you please explain in as much detail as possible the differences and the similarities between someone who is considered immune and someone who is testing positive but showing no symptoms? Hmm. Uh, that's a really interesting question. John, and I, of course, I do not know the answer, but that's why we have uh, Dr. Sanford Veeder here with us. Uh, Dr. Veeder, what about the, what is it about how we should be understanding things like immunity versus things that like uh, people who are perhaps infected, but don't show any, any symptoms? Sure. Well, I'll try to answer that question as best I can, and admittedly up front tell you that I'm not an immunologist Mm -hmm. uh, or a virologist. So uh, there are definitely people that are much more uh, intelligent than I am in that particular field. But having stated that, some basic differences are that, um, unfortunately, we're dealing with a novel, and I'll use the word novel, meaning new, uh, you know, virus. Uh, And frankly, we don't know how to predict how that virus is going to behave. Um, Just to explain a little bit of the difference between maybe even, you know, influenza and other coronaviruses, typically novel coronaviruses are new to the human uh, body. So in in this particular case, it's believed to have come from chickens or fish uh, in, in China that somehow made the jump from the animal base to the human base. And because the human base has never really been faced with this virus, we typically build immunities to different types of viruses. And so, um, you know, each season when influenza comes around, uh, we try and predict what type of influenza is going to be prevalent, and that's included in the vaccine. And we give you an injection of that that is meant to sort of stimulate your immune system so that you build antibodies to fight that infection if you encounter it. Uh, With this particular novel virus, we really don't have a vaccine. We don't have a specific treatment for it. And part of that is the fact that we've never seen it before in the human model. So at this point, the best answer I could really give you, Don, is that 
you know, we really don't know how some people may be immune to it or, or some may build immunity to it after the illness because we just don't have enough data or enough experience at this point to be able to say that that is something that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the more frightening aspects of this is that, sure. that the the regular sort of expectations that we might have or assumptions we might make about a disease, we just are not able to to, to apply to this situation because it is new. This, uh, this question of herd immunity is something that, you know, we talk about a lot with diseases that ultimately uh, are less... Uh, virulent among the population in terms of their effect and and their spread, but but it's fair to say I, I'm hearing you say it's fair to say that we just can't assume any of that with this virus because it hasn't been around long enough for us to see over time what it's going to do. That's correct. Yeah. That that really is the truth at this point, and you know there may be additional data. It, you know, listen, every single day, literally. Every few hours, we are having fresh data that's being sent out to physicians and to the healthcare force. Um, that data is being uh, culminated from the experiences in China and South Korea, and now in Italy and 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 elsewhere in the United States as well. So we're beginning to learn some new patterns, but there's nothing there specific yet that we can really put our finger on that will allow us to really combat it the way we would like to. Mm. And it, it's simply going to take some time. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Gary in Clinton Township. Gary, welcome to the show. Uh, yes. Thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. um, I just have a quick, couple quick observations I wanted to make. Uh, one being I had just left a Walmart and uh, so you see, like, an a, a increased amount of people wearing rubber, you know, latex gloves and masks, and that's great and everything. But unfortunately, one residual effect of that is uh, people have been discarding them in the parking lot. Hmm. And there, were, there was tons of latex gloves and masks just thrown in, uh, into the open parking lot. And one, one of my concerns is, is that, uh, you know, as they project that this is going to get, you know, the numbers with, uh, of infections are going to, increase. Um, I mean, that seems like, a, you know, in the next couple of weeks, it seems like it could be a little bit of a biohazard kind of situation. Hmm. And so uh, hopefully, you know, they, they can come up with like a depository or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and anyway, really quickly, my, my second observation is I live in an apartment complex, and uh, I'd like to see the state of Michigan offer like a set of guidelines uh, on the government website that, you know, that should be hopefully observed by uh, people that, you know, uh, you know, for uh, people who live in apartments. Mm -hmm. I think that would be really helpful. Yeah. No, Gary, I appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, before I ask you to respond, Dr. Veter, I want to read uh, a comment from Joe and Clausen who called and couldn't stay on the line. He asked whether putting a mask in the freezer would help to keep it clean and allow you to reuse it. It's a it's a related question to this question of all the masks that I think people are seeing and gloves strewn around parking lots and other places where they've where they've been used. Give us a, a sense of how to deal with these masks and gloves, which people are using to help stop the spread of the virus, but then mm -hmm. uh, perhaps could be a, their own problem if we if we don't sure. deal with them sure. the right way. Yeah, go ahead. 
Well, um, I, I, I can share with you what we're recommending to our, our, our healthcare workers. And um, because of the concerns of shortages associated with what we call PPE or personal protection equipment, and that would include uh, goggles, uh, masks, face masks, uh, whether it's a plain surgical mask that the variety uh, individual has or what's called an N95 mask, which is uh, much more um, capable of filtering out the virus itself. Um, what we're recommending is that they actually place their mask in a paper bag and just keep it at room temperature. I would be concerned about putting it in the freezer because moisture in the mask is what deteriorates its filtering uh, capacity. Mm. So um, I, I don't see an advantage to doing that, and that may actually accelerate uh, its deterioration and lose its effectiveness if that's what you're really looking to do. So like a lunch bag, plain paper bag, uh, put the mask in there, and that way it can be ready for you to be used the next time. Um, for those in the healthcare field, you know, we discard the mask after we've been treating or, or seeing somebody who is known to be positive so that we're not taking that contaminated surface to another patient room, uh, of course. And that's a much different setting than the average person out in public who's just trying to protect themselves. Um, by the way, my wife had the same observation when she went shopping yesterday to get some groceries and mm. noted that there were gloves all over the parking lot, and that's really inconsiderate, and, and it's unnecessary. Um, these things can be discarded in, in a you know, regular trash bin for now. Uh, if you're concerned about it and you don't want to you know, wear that stuff in your vehicle, and I understand that, then you know, take it off and, and have a plastic bag available inside your vehicle and put it in the plastic bag. It's not going to jump out of the bag, mm -hmm. and it, it is certainly a concern not only from a biohazard standpoint, I think less so from a biohazard standpoint than it is from a pure littering standpoint. It's just rude and inconsiderate. And, of course, some of that stuff ends up in our waterways yep. and potentially harms, you know, uh, uh, all, the, all the water life. And, you know, we worry about those things like we talked about straws that end up in our seas and our rivers and our lakes that, you know, negatively impact the, uh, the fish. And so this is no different. So really, nobody should be tossing that stuff onto the parking lot ground when they uh, are about to approach their car. Uh, they really should be putting it into a plastic bag, take it home, throw it in your own trash bin, or throw it in a trash bin that's located near the shopping center that you're at. Okay, Dr. Sanford Veter, Medical Director at Lakes Urgent Care in West Bloomfield and in Livonia. It was great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Up next, we're going to continue to take your calls, and we're going to welcome Dr. Paul Kilgore, Associate Professor and Director of Research at the Wayne State University College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, back to the program. He is going to answer your questions, your medical questions, about coronavirus for the second half of the show. And we want to continue to hear from you, of course, here on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. Paul and Warren, Sasha and Hamtramck, Maya in Detroit. We'll get to you. If you want to join them, call and tell us about something good that has happened to you this week as you're staying at 
at home, maybe with your children for the first time in a long time? Is there something that you've rediscovered and find joy in now that we are all kind of sheltering because of the pandemic? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Thanks for tuning in. We are doing the second hour of Detroit Today today as a way of giving you an opportunity to call and ask the medical questions you have about the coronavirus. What are the things that you should be doing? What are the things you shouldn't be doing? What should you do if you start to show symptoms or someone close to you does? What is the environment like in urgent cares in hospitals right now as we are just at the beginning of the curve of people who are going to be sick with this disease. Uh, We've had uh, doctors with us uh, here on the program who are able to answer those questions. And I want to welcome Dr. Paul Kilgore, Associate Professor and Director of Research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences back to the program. Dr. Kilgore, great to have you here again. Hi, Stephen. Thank you very much. Yes. And we want to hear from you about what's going on in your world. What are you doing? What are you not doing? How are you adjusting to all of the changes that we each have to indulge because of this pandemic? We also want to lighten things just a little bit this hour and have you call and tell us about one fun or unexpected positive thing you've been able to do in the time you've been home because of the coronavirus. Lots of us are staying at home and have our kids with us for the first time in a long time because they're not in school. Are there things that uh, about that interaction that you have been pleased to have the time to do? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Dr. Kilgore, before we get back to listeners, we were talking with you just a few days ago. The world seems different again in the two days since we spoke with you. I want to give you a chance to to catch us up from your perspective on where we are and what we should be expecting in the next few days or weeks. Absolutely, Stephen. That's a great point. So one of the things that I think we need to look at is what's, what's new since we last talked. And I've been looking at a lot of uh, different sources and pulling in a lot of information. And uh, a few things that I want to point out to listeners, especially those in Detroit and in Michigan, uh, we have not only great websites at the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan on COVID-19, but there's also phone numbers there that you can call in, and uh, including phone numbers if you think you may have symptoms as well. Um, So there is access to the health departments there. and, And the same would be true for other counties like Wayne County, Oakland County, Macomb County in the metropolitan Detroit area. Uh, The other thing I can mention is that um, in the United States, uh, at last tally, we have uh, 14,631 cases, uh, 210 deaths. So cases have been rising, but we expect that um, because there's increased testing. Uh, 
and increased test availability as well across the United States and in Michigan as well. Um, let, me, let me just mention again uh, the latest USA figures, um, 14,631 and 210 deaths mm-hmm. in, in uh the entire country. That's yeah. the entire United States, not yeah. Michigan. Right. About 300 deaths in Michigan, 300 cases in Michigan, excuse me. Yeah. So, so from your perspective, is this playing out in a scenario that we think is going to look like some of the other countries where we've had kind of worst case scenarios? Or does this effort to flatten the curve begin to show its head in some of the numbers and certainly in the growth of of, of cases, are we are we getting any indication about how well we're doing in mm-hmm. trying to adapt to this? Mm-hmm. So, as we implement the mitigation procedures, which is essentially social distancing, um, staying home, and uh, keeping separated, that's going to have an effect without a doubt. But there will be time needed to actually see that effect, and the reason for that is that the incubation period of the disease. Is several days and so where there's transmission going on in the community already there's going to be a need to separate those cases from individuals that are still susceptible in order to see an impact or reduction in the total number of cases yeah uh, again I'm really glad to have uh, dr. Paul Kilgore with us and he is here to answer your specific questions and so let's get back to listeners and get them in the conversation here. Let's start with Sasha in Hamtramck. Sasha, welcome to the program. Hi. Um, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, um, Dr. Kilgore, for this. It's very, very helpful today. Um, my question is pretty basic and maybe almost a bit nebulous, but how long should healthy individuals who have no idea if they've been exposed or are a carrier stay away from their immunocompromised family members? Mm. Mm. Great question, Sasha. Thank you for calling. Mm -hmm. So for immunocompromised individuals, and there's a whole host of reasons why someone would be immunocompromised, and they're in a household and and you have other individuals in the household, the measures that you would normally take to protect those individuals against infection um, need to be taken in this case. So that means great hand hygiene, uh, keeping the home environment clean, and making sure that if anyone in the household either has been exposed or is manifesting any symptoms, that they need to be separated in the best possible way. And for many households, practically speaking, that's going to be difficult because you may not have a lot of rooms in the home. But if there is a separate room in the home where an individual can be separated, it's the person who is ill, ideally, or manifesting signs and symptoms who would be housed in that separate room. And ideally, the recommendation is if you have another bathroom that that individual who has signs and symptoms can use, then you would have that second bathroom for that individual to use. If that's not the case, then each time the bathroom is used, there should be cleaning of the countertops, the handles, the hand washing needs to be done before and after using the bathroom for sure. And of course, making sure that individuals uh, who are sick um, are in touch with their health care provider to make sure that as they manifest symptoms or as they see their course of illness, they can stay in touch and determine whether or not they need to get in to see a provider and if they can get in to get a test done. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Sasha, again, thanks very much. That's a great question and one that I think a lot of people are probably also asking right now. Let's go to Thelma in Detroit. Thelma, welcome to the show. Yes. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. I want to ask the doctor, what are the requirements for the test? Because I know someone who hasn't been feeling well for the past uh, three or four days, and they went in for a test, but they didn't meet the requirements. So what? just what are the requirements for the test? Yeah, that's a really great question, Thelma. Uh, Dr. Kilgore, you know, there's a lot of people who are suffering from the flu right now and have symptoms that look maybe a little like coronavirus, but they aren't quite the same. How do people know if you start to feel ill uh, when you should go to the hospital and ask for a test for Mm -hmm. coronavirus? Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a couple of things to think about. Uh, The first is that you can actually list and write down the signs and symptoms that you're experiencing. And what you want to do is make sure you write down when those symptoms started and exactly what they are. And so I'll just list some of them that you would want to, of course, write down. One is fever. So if you have a thermometer at home and you can measure your temperature, go ahead and measure your temperature and then record that temperature. And if you feel that you're becoming feverish or you spike a fever, then measure it again and write that down because it can vary over a short period of time. If you're coughing, and depending on what type of cough you have, write that down too. So it may be a dry cough or a wet cough with phlegm production, and you can write that down as well. And if it's colored phlegm, write down the color of that as well. And if you're experiencing shortness of breath, write that down. And what we want to know is when are you experiencing that shortness of breath? Is it when you're walking around the home or going up and down stairs? And or is it when you're just sitting down at rest or perhaps even laying down in the couch or the bed? Write those down because that can be very informative. And also, you may experience some chest tightness. And if you experience chest tightness that goes along with shortness of breath, that's also helpful for doctors to know about. There are other signs and symptoms of COVID-19 that do look a little bit like influenza. And those are things like uh, runny nose or sore throat. But one of the new things, Stephen, that I wanted to point out to listeners that has been reported in the literature um, that hasn't been talked about a whole lot is important to know, and that is that there are individuals who are developing COVID-19, their laboratory-confirmed cases, and the first thing that they actually manifest or present with is diarrhea and nausea and vomiting. Hmm. So... One of the things that we know about the infection is that it does target the the digestive tract, the GI tract. And so it's not surprising in some ways that some people are actually manifesting GI symptoms. So that's another important thing to look for. And when you write this all down, the other thing to do is over time, do record if any of those symptoms are getting worse, because that's another sign that doctors can use to develop a plan for laboratory testing. Yeah, yeah. I would just mention one more quick thing, and Uh that is that when you have these signs and symptoms written down, it's a lot easier to talk with your clinic nurse or doctor about whether or not you should be tested, and they will find it very helpful as well. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the the tough things here is is knowing how severe – 
your symptoms have to be before you're supposed to go and and tell somebody and ask to be tested. I mean, I think, uh, again, lots of people are suffering from the flu. Uh, You know, common colds are always in play. Uh, What's the, you know, what is the point at which people should, should really start to be concerned about what they're seeing? So the time course for the illness can actually be pretty rapid within just a few days. And it's going to vary from individual to individual. So particularly if someone is older, an older adult, or if they have an underlying medical condition or immunosuppression, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, these individuals could actually progress more rapidly than others. Uh, Of course, we've seen disease in all age groups. And lately, there's a lot in the news about young adults actually manifesting severe enough disease to require hospitalization. But the disease can progress fairly rapidly. So for uh, the listeners also to know, it's important to also write down the progression. How fast are things moving uh, and what time course is that? Is it day or it could be even hours actually in some individuals. So that's important to keep in mind because as things change very rapidly, it's important not to get behind in Uh, notifying your doctor. Hmm. It doesn't hurt to call the clinic and if you are having signs and symptoms to let them know and they'll give you some instructions on how you can call back and stay in touch with them because that's much better than waiting at home until you're really in dire circumstances and then waiting to the last minute to get into a hospital or emergency room. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Nancy in Plymouth. Nancy, welcome to the show. Nancy, we need you to turn your radio down there. But uh, Are you there, Nancy? I can hear myself, but I can't hear Nancy. Okay, Nancy, uh, call us back <laughs> and, and keep the radio down uh, when we go to you. Let's go to Maya in Detroit. Maya, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Um, hi. My question was, as far as drive-thrus go, um, are the people in the drive-thrus supposed to be wearing, um, like, all PPE? Like, well, not all of it, but, like, gloves and masks? Because I've been to a few, and they don't have on masks. Mm. Um, they have, like, the little disposable gloves on, but not masks. And um, that's a little concerning, being that, they say we can go to drive throughs Also, sorry, one quick thing, elders. How do we help elders in our neighborhood or elders in our family um, in a safe way? Hmm. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, great questions, Maya. I appreciate the call. This question about fast food restaurants, I think, is something that's really urgent right now, given that so many people are having to rely on food that they bring in from the outside more frequently maybe than they did before. Dr. Kilgore, talk about what food prep workers in fast food restaurants, for instance, should be doing to, to keep people safe. Absolutely. So that ties in nicely with the question about uh, protective devices or protective equipment mm-hmm. uh, through at the drive through And, you know, I think one of the things that it's important to know is that we have individuals in the population who may be asymptomatic yet are actually in the early course of illness able to transmit or uh, uh, pass on virus. So one of the things, of course, for food workers and for individuals who are um, in the hospital, of course, taking care of patients and for individuals who are 
uh, collecting samples uh, for testing is to, wherever possible, have sufficient PPE. You know, for restaurants, um, I'll have to admit, I don't know what the guidance is for masks and uh, personal protective equipment, but you would think that if individuals can be protected um, through wearing a mask, that would be ideal. Um, you know, in a, a more acute environment, and when I'm talking about acute, I mean the hospital or a clinic, I've had discussions with my colleagues, even as recently as this morning, talking about how healthcare workers can protect themselves. And there's a lot of information now talking about the limitations or restrictions and shortages of personal protective equipment. So this is a real thing, and it's very important for these workers to have access to masks and to other equipment when taking care of patients and or when being around patients that may have been exposed or contacts of cases and also around individuals that are symptomatic but not yet laboratory confirmed. Mm. So uh, this is a really hot topic right now. So we're going to learn more about this going forward in the future, and I'll certainly share more information on, on future shows and, and with you and, and the public so we can get that out. Yeah. Uh, what about that second question about elderly neighbors and family members? Yeah, I actually, we were talking about this this morning uh, with colleagues at Henry Ford Health System. And one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we can reach out to vulnerable populations across the metropolitan Detroit area and actually everywhere in the country. And we have mechanisms for reaching out, um, but currently they're fairly limited. And one of the ways that we could do it, uh, if we're a community leader, for example, is consider uh, making a list and identifying individuals that may be vulnerable, for example, an elderly person living alone, and then identifying credible information that would allow them to know where to call if they need help um, to get uh, not only the numbers for the health department, but maybe even for a community leader or a neighbor who's willing to take a call from them and then also assist in the communication to either a doctor's office or a health department to make sure that they get connected to people that can help them. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's going to be really important reaching out, uh, not only to the elderly, but to other individuals in the community that may be disabled or otherwise unable to access really current health information through the Internet or a phone or uh, television or radio. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Paul Kilgore about the medical questions you have about the coronavirus. If you want to give us a call and let us know what's on your mind, 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. Uh, Burl in Ann Arbor, Paul in Warren, Peter in Bloomfield Hills, and Nancy in Plymouth, who is back with us. We will hear from all of you next if you want to join them. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Stephen Henderson. 
Anderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We've got Dr. Paul Kilgore with us. He's Associate Professor and Director of Research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. He's here to answer your medical questions about the coronavirus, about the pandemic that we are all dealing with that has upended our lives in the last week. If you have questions for the doctor, if you want to talk about uh, things we should be doing, things we shouldn't be doing, also Call and tell us what things you are maybe enjoying doing as you are staying in the house with your children, uh, a sort of lighter aspect of things that we'd love to hear about as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. We'll try to work them into the conversation. Let's go to Nancy in Plymouth, who is back with us on the program. Nancy, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, yes, my question is, um, my sister has some very serious symptoms, and she also has underlying um, conditions that are worrisome. So it's possible that we may be taking her to the hospital this afternoon um, after she speaks to her doctor. She has a cat, and we're wondering... Um, uh, if she has to be hospitalized, uh, is it dangerous for us to go back in and take care of the cat or try and get somebody else to take the cat to their home? Because she's been ill for about five days now. Mm. Very good question, Nancy. I'm very sorry to hear about your sister, and I hope everything works out medically uh, for her. But, but Dr. Kilgore, that raises a, a pretty broad question about what we do with the spaces that people who were sick uh, were in, who are sick were in, and what we do with things like pets and, and uh, how we take care of them in those spaces while somebody may be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, for, for Nancy's situation and for anyone else uh, in that situation, there's a lot of people, you know, So far, uh, the evidence shows and all the data we've seen uh, suggests that cats and other pets, dogs and such, are not able to carry the virus. So if she happened to be sick um, and we were laboratory confirmed with COVID-19, there's no evidence that the cat uh, itself would be dangerous to other people or infected. Um, So I think that's the first thing to point out. Also, I think, you know, in all home environments, um, no matter the condition of individuals, for people that have underlying medical conditions, and and particularly people who have multiple medical conditions, I think maintaining great hygiene, uh, cleaning of the surfaces at home uh, in individual areas, particularly those that have underlying medical conditions or may not be terribly mobile, is going to be very important uh, going forward. So I think that's a really important thing. And, uh, and of course, the other thing I would say to Nancy is, um, which they probably already have already, is to gather together uh, her medications and other medical records that would help any of the doctors diagnose and treat her better and more efficiently once she does get to the hospital. Uh, there's one more thing I would like to point out, Stephen, that uh, actually is true for all listeners, and that is that Nowadays, many health systems uh, in the Detroit area have what we call the electronic medical record. And there's one system in particular that's used by a couple of the health systems here in the Detroit area uh, that's run by a company called Epic, and they have something called MyChart. 
and you can actually register to have a MyChart account online. And this is a good way to keep track of your medical record online. You can look for appointments, you can look at your medication list, and you can get notes. And actually health systems are operating through that system a virtual doctor connection. So you can actually communicate with a doctor through the phone or online so that you can actually get questions asked and answered through that system. You do have to register, make sure you have a MyChart account, get that going, and then you can get connected through a virtual system. Um, but I wanted to mention that as well. Yeah, no, that's great information. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call, Nancy, and we wish the best for your sister. Let's go to Peter in Bloomfield Hills. Peter, welcome to the show. Dr. Paul, uh, I'm curious, what is the problem with replicating test kits and the test environment for this country as opposed to South Korea, which can apparently turn out tests by the hundreds of thousands? Great question, uh, and I think that's on a lot of people's minds. Why the shortage of tests here in the United States? I know this is not exactly your area of specialty, Dr. Kilgore, but uh, give us an idea of what the trouble we're having is about. So, absolutely. There's a couple things to know. One is that um, I worked in South Korea for 12 years, so I have some firsthand knowledge mm. about the environment there. One of the things I can tell you is that in South Korea, not the government and the private sector work very closely together and they have for many years. The next thing to know is that they experienced two different coronavirus epidemics before this one. So the first one was in 2003 and four with the SARS, and then they had the MERS coronavirus outbreak as well just a few years ago. And in both of those situations, South Korea was primed and responded through a public health response, and the entire community got organized. They also have a very, very robust viral diagnostics capability, even in the hospitals. And actually, historically, that was started through the United States back in the 1960s. We trained a lot of doctors in how to diagnose viral diseases. So they have a long-standing tradition there in Korea of developing diagnostic tests and doing it very, very quickly. The other thing to know is that when you develop a diagnostic test for any pathogen, and especially for COVID-19 and coronavirus, you have to make sure that that test is absolutely accurate, hmm. meaning it has great sensitivity, great specificity, and is going to be accurate each and every time. And the way we do that is we do a lot of quality control and quality assurance when the test is created and designed and as it's being manufactured. And so to maintain that QAQC throughout the lifetime of production for the test, you have to make sure that it's done throughout and from the very beginning. That's a lot of work. It takes time to get all that going. And we were behind the eight ball a little bit, for sure. Um, we're catching up without a doubt. And there's a lot of machines being deployed right now. And you can see a lot of new test kits and new tests out there. Um, so I, I feel optimistic in that regard, but we are um, a little bit on the short end right now. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Paul Kilgore. Associate Professor and Director of Research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. Really great to have you here to answer these questions for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. That's going to do it for me today. We will be back on Monday, and I hope you will too. 
This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. Be well, and we'll talk again on Monday.